0: The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it with me to Daniel. Two weeks ago, we launched into this new series that we're calling If, and it's this idea, what if if there's more to God than what we've settled for? And so we... began or kicked off our series by uh, considering the verse that says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? And tonight, what I want to do is I want to talk to you about cultivating an even if kind of faith. So we're going to get into that, but I'll set things up like this. One thing I've learned is that our fears tend to feed on what if scenarios. Does anybody in here know what I'm talking about? Questions like. What if I can't find a job? What if the economy doesn't bounce back? What if I show up to the party and that person's wearing the exact same thing that I chose to wear? What if I get the virus? What if the relationship I'm in doesn't work out? And then of course, the biggest concern on everyone's mind during the pandemic, what if we run out of toilet paper, amen? (laughs) So we play these what if scenarios in our minds, and they drive this cycle of hysteria and fear. And when we allow our what-if fears to get out of control, the results are never good. Just thinking through an example of this, do you remember, does anyone old enough to remember Y2K? (laughs) Remember Y2K? And all the fear that surrounded that, for those of you who are younger, you weren't around for Y2K, Y2K the year 2000 is what that stands for. And there were all of these pundits and prognosticators and experts that were predicting basically the demise of civilization. Why? Because the fear was that the computer systems that basically run our world wouldn't be able to roll over after 12, 31, 99, and that they wouldn't be able to roll over to 1, 1, 0, 0. And so everyone waited on New Year's Eve with bated breath is the world about to collapse. And then... Nothing happened, of course. And that might be the worst thing about feeding into all of our what-if fears, right? Like most of the stuff that we spend so much time worrying about never even happens. There was a guy 500 years ago named Michael de Montaigne, and he said it really well. He said this, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never even happened. You get what that means, right? He's saying our fears, most of them are irrational in nature the chances of the thing that we're afraid of actually happening is usually pretty low. There were some researchers who did a study on this, and they found out that 85% of the stuff that we spend our time worrying about never even happens. Of course, many of us are sitting here thinking about, well, what about that 15% that does actually happen? Well, with that 15%, Uh, The vast majority of them, when they faced their worst fears, found that they could handle the difficulties better than expected, or that they learned from them. They were better off because of them. Overall, the study concluded that 97% of what we fret, worry, and fear is nothing more than an anxious mind. But you already knew all that. And so what I want to talk to you about tonight is what about those rare occasions when our worst fears do come to pass? What then, how are we supposed to handle them? And together, what we're going to see through God's word tonight is how we can learn to turn our what if fears into even if faith. Let me say that again. God wants to turn your what if fears into even if faith. Even if faith says, even if my worst fears come true, I know that I don't need to be afraid why because God is with me and he is for me now there's a classic story in Daniel chapter 3 thank you very much that we're going to be looking at that highlights for us how to move from this one camp of living in what if fears and being controlled by them into this other camp of being governed by God and allowing an even if faith to dominate our lives so I'll set the context of the passage up for us before we jump into it. In 596 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon sweeps in, and he sacks the city of Jerusalem. The temple is destroyed. Thousands of people get killed, and thousands more are carried away as captives into Babylon. The smartest and the brightest of these captives were taken into King Nebuchadnezzar's court where they were trained in the arts of science and mathematics and wisdom and culture. And then they were turned into the king's advisors. The king of Babylon, he was a pretty smart guy. He didn't want to waste all of this great talent. So he brought them in. And among those who were taken into this inner court to be turned into advisors were Daniel and his buddies Shadrach, Meshach, And and so that's kind of where we'll pick our story up tonight. Look at verse 1. Excuse me. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and six cubits wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the, the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So... The satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you were commanded to do as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither. What is this, like a Dr. Seuss thing? When you hear the zither the lyre, the harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and people of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So this golden statue that Nebuchadnezzar erected would have been quite a sight to see. It was erected in the plains of this particular area called Dura. It was 60 cubits high. That's about 90 feet tall. But it was only about 6 feet wide. So it's this really tall, skinny, golden statue that he sets up. And it would have been visible from miles and miles away. And as the sun in the morning bounced and gleamed off of it, it would have looked like it was shining. The fact that the entire thing was made of gold is also significant. You see, 15 years prior to the events being described here in Daniel chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar had been troubled by a dream that he had about this Statue And it didn't make sense. And so Daniel, the prophet, was brought in and he interpreted the king's dream for him. And he told the king, in your dream, you saw a statue and the head was gold. And then the the rest of the statue was made of lesser value metals. And Daniel went on to interpret that for the king. He said, "The, the head of gold, that's Babylon. And these other metals are successive kingdoms that are going to follow the Babylonian kingdom. And well, Nebuchadnezzar, he grabbed hold of that first part of the dream. He's like, I like that. We're the head of gold. Let's forget about all those other kingdoms. He didn't like the idea of being overthrown at any point. And so he just builds this entire statue of gold. No doubt the very statue that he had seen in his dream. And then he commands everyone under his rule to bow down and worship it when the music plays. Now, for obvious reasons, this posed a problem for all the Jews who had been carried away as captives into Babylon. God's law clearly forbade any Jew from worshiping images or idols. In fact, you know we how we have the 10 Commandments. The first two deal with this very issue. The first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. And the second commandment, in case you didn't get it the first time is, you shall make no idols or graven images. So this put the Jews, obviously, in a tight spot. On the one hand, they want to honor God. But on the other hand, the pressure to comply with Nebuchadnezzar's command would have been extremely high. To start with, there was political pressure to comply, to fall in line. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were officials in the king's court. And that meant they were employees of the Babylonian government. And it would have been easy for them to rationalize this compromise in their life. We should just bow down. I mean, obviously, we can do more good for God with these positions of authority that we've been gifted. So let's not make any waves. This is a new job, and I like the perks, and the benefits are great, whatever. So there was political pressure to fall in line. There was also cultural pressure to conform, right? There was this music that was playing. It created a party-like atmosphere, and I'm sure there were plenty of people out there there was saying things like what's the big deal don't be such a stick in the mud when in Babylon one must do as the Babylonians and then everyone's favorite fallback is what happens in Babylon stays in Babylon right so just don't get so hot and bothered there was also peer pressure verse 7 states that when the music played get this all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image. No doubt that included most of the Jews. This would have caused these three guys who were willing to defy, it would have caused them to stick out like sore thumbs. I mean, you look out in the whole plane, everyone's on their knees, except these three guys just kind of standing there. Like I said, they could have easily rationalized their compromise. God will understand. He knows I'm not doing this with my heart. It's just something I have to do. But just in case all of that weren't enough to motivate them to bow down, there was also the threat of death. Anyone who defied the king's order by a decree of the king himself would be placed into a fiery burning furnace. That would motivate you. Now, how does all of this speak to us, modern people living in the 21st century? Well, we may not have to choose between bowing down and worshiping a golden statue or face certain death, but as Christians, you'll agree with me when I say we, we do face constant pressure from society to fall in line with the godless culture all around us. There's political pressure, There's cultural pressure, there's peer pressure to blend in, to go with the flow, to not rock the boat. We're encouraged to to stay quiet, and it's okay. You can practice your faith, but, but just keep it private. Go along with the crowd. Just bow down to the cultural idols, whether they be entertainment or success or money or pleasure. Just do what everyone else is doing. But we can't do that. As believers, God has called us to more than that. God has called us to to shine like lights in the midst of a dark world, hasn't he? In his letter to the church in Rome, Paul said it like this, and, and I'm reading out of the Phillips translation. He said, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. But let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands and moves forwards or towards the goal of true maturity, Romans 12.2. I like how that particular translation translates that verse. Don't allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. Doesn't that paint a picture? I mean, the world wants to squeeze you into a particular mold, a particular worldview, you might say. It wants to tell you what to wear, how to speak, what to think, how to behave. It wants you to adopt its worldview. And anyone who dares to stand up or speak out for a biblical worldview or a biblical approach is often labeled a bigot or a Bible thumper or old fashioned. And oftentimes, you'll just get canceled. The point I'm trying to make is simply this there are still consequences for daring to stand up and speak out just like there were back then. You may not be being threatened with a fiery furnace, but you might get fired. Now there are other parts of the world where the threat is far more severe. We have partners, ministry partners, and in places around the world where it's illegal to be a Christian and you will lose your life if they catch you. Places like North Korea and Iran, if you stand up for your faith in, in those countries, then it could easily cost you your life. But, and because of this pressure, the vast majority of people, they just bow. They bow to the pressure, but not all do. And that's what we're about to see in our story. Look at verse seven. therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of the gold that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. And at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace." But there are some Jews Whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. So these guys were no doubt moved by jealousy. They noted that these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had high positions within the court and they were probably gunning for their jobs. And so they call them out. And I love these guys and what they represent for us, how they stood up for what they knew was right and how that caused them to stand up. And by the way, you need to know that when you decide to stand up for your convictions and beliefs, you will stand out just like they did. When you stand up for God, you'll stick out in this world. In today's world, if you dare to say something as outrageous as Marriage is something that God designed to be between one man and one woman. Or when you speak out and say that God designed two genders and there are differences between the male and female genders. Or if you dare to say that life starts at conception, all of these are taboo, you'll stand out from the crowd and you'll end up with a target on your back. And again, this is enough to keep most people quiet. So the question for us is, what was it that emboldened Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and kept them standing strong when everyone else had succumbed to the pressures around them and bowed down. And really, in my opinion, it comes down to one thing and even one word. You want to know what that word is? Character. They had character. Now, character is nothing more than the sum of your qualities, Attributes and traits. We all have character, right? But not all of us have godly or good character. And that's what I'm talking about here. That's what we're trying to develop in our own lives. Godly character, it's been defined as strength of moral fiber. It's integrity. One person defined character as doing the right thing, even when no one's watching. The idea, of course, is that it's easy to do the right thing when your boss is watching or when people are around, but who you are when you're alone, that's your real character. When we talk about someone being a man of principle or a woman of integrity, we're talking about someone who has a godly character. By contrast, when we say someone lacks character, what we mean is they're, they're untrustworthy or unethical or dishonest. Now, one thing that will always reveal the kind of character you have is your response to adversity And trials. If you want to know the status or the state of your character, man, just find yourself in some hot water. We're all like tea bags. You, You get dropped in hot water, and what's on the inside just bleeds out. You see, adversity, it doesn't develop character so much as it just reveals it. It can develop it if you face it the right way, but more often than not, it simply reveals what's already there. When you face hardship, you'll always find yourself confronted by a crossroads. Either you're going to choose the path of compromise or you're going to choose the path of character. Another thing that I wanna say about character is that it's something that grows or develops over time. It's not like a one-time deposit. It's something that seeps into our lives little by little. And the reason that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could stand before King Nebuchadnezzar without fear of penalty is because they had already bowed their knees before God's throne. And if you're the kind of person who goes on their knees before the throne of heaven, then I guarantee you, you won't fear any man. Somebody say amen. If you bow before heaven, you can stand before any man or woman. You see, years prior to the events that we're talking about here in Daniel chapter 3, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had first been carried away as captives into Babylon, they they made a choice. They purposed in their hearts, along with Daniel, not to defile themselves in a small area, seemingly small. They said, we're not going to eat the king's meat. It's been sacrificed to idols. And instead of compromising their convictions, which everyone else apparently was doing, They chose to follow God's ways and commit themselves to the Lord and live in accordance with what God's word said. And that's how character gets formed. It happens day by day, year by year, decade by decade, as you continually choose to do the right thing and choose God's ways over your own momentary pleasures. Last thought on character before we move on. If you don't like the character that you see when you look in the mirror, then start to change it. You see, character is not a fixed thing. It's moldable. It's malleable. It can transform. And, and as we change and make new choices, our character will conform to the choices that we make. This is good news for all of us. And as we follow Jesus, our character will start to look increasingly like Jesus. We are being conformed, the Bible says, into the image of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's good news because when I look at Jesus, I really like what I see. Well, look with me at verse 13 as we move into the next part of our story. They had character, this really ticked off old Nebi. Verse 13 says, furious with rage. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, I'm going to give you another chance. He goes through the list of, of all the instruments, and if you hear the music, bow down But if you don't worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then listen what he says. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? You think you're worshiping God? You think he's going to deliver you from me? Oh, this is where the story gets so good. I'm excited. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, verse 16, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If, everybody say, if, if. We are thrown into the blazing furnace. The God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. He is able, and he will deliver us from your hand. But even if, everybody say, even if. I like how their conviction of faith grows even as they're speaking. They move from if to even if, even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. If we're thrown into the furnace, the God we serve, he's able, he's capable. Our God is mighty to save. He's able to deliver. Our God is good. Our God is great. The God we serve will save us. He will rescue us. They were confident and trusting in the Lord's deliverance, but they were also confident in his sustaining power and grace. He will deliver us one way or another, either from you or he will deliver us by bringing us into his presence. We're going to win either way. But even if, even if he chooses not to deliver us from the fiery trial in the way that we would choose, we're still not going to bow down and worship your idols, even if. Now, now these two words, even if, say it again, say it with conviction. Say it to the person on your right. Somebody say it to the person on your right. Now turn around and say it to the person on your left, even if. These are two of the most courageous words of faith that you will find anywhere in your Bible. You see, a lot of people in the church have what I like to call as long as faith. They have as long as faith. Do you know what I'm talking about? God, I'm following you as long as things work out the way I want them to. God, I'm with you as long as you keep me healthy and my family healthy. God, I love you as long as my kids are okay. God, I'll follow you and obey you as long as you don't let me lose my job. And that's what as long as faith looks like. And there are a lot of people, we wouldn't say that we live with as long as faith, but our actions often speak louder than our words. And when the heat gets turned up and you turn your back on God and you stop showing up to fellowship and you break free from community and you stop reading your word, you are living out your faith. It's not your creeds, but it's your deeds that speak loudest of all. And so a lot of us, we practice and as long as faith, but even faith. even if faith is different it says even if my worst fears are realized I'm not turning my back on God because I trust him and I know him and I know that he loves me and I know that he's looking out for me there are a number of people throughout scripture who exhibited and practiced this kind of even if faith I want to highlight a, a couple of them for you the first one is Job Job said this he said even if he kills me he's talking about God I will hope in him. That's what you call even if faith. That is a mature faith. Here's another one. This is Habakkuk. He said, even if the fig tree does not blossom and there is no fruit on the vines, if the, if the yield of the olive fails and the fields produce no food even if the flock disappears from the fold and there are no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, that is even if faith. I mean, when you're talking about there's no fruit on the vines, there's no olive in in the, the press, there's no produce in the fields, the flock disappears, you're having a bad day. Even then, Habakkuk says, He's still my God and I will still exult in the Lord. We need to learn how to develop an even if kind of faith. Even if he doesn't save my marriage, I'm in it with the Lord. Even if he doesn't heal my child, even if it doesn't work out, even if it costs me my life, I'm not gonna turn my back on him, I won't compromise my faith, I won't bow down to other gods. How do you build an even if Kind of faith in a world that is constantly pushing you to a compromised position of bowing down before idols. Where does this even if faith come from? I think it comes from a couple of places. First, and even if, and even if faith comes from knowing who God is and building a history with Him. Some of you seasoned saints in here, you've walked with the Lord for decades. And so you got a long track record of walking with the Lord and the more history you have with God, it's, it's a cool thing because you have more to reflect on, more to look back on, more to say, you know what? God was faithful here, 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 here. He's been faithful every step of the way. He's been faithful in good times. He's been faithful in bad times. And so as I move into an uncertain future, I can have confidence in him because he's been faithful 100% of the time in my past. The other thing I want to say about building an even if faith is this, whatever you feed grows, whatever you starve dies. Does that make sense? The problem that we have is that we keep feeding our fears And we're starving our faith. We need to flip the script. We need to begin to feed our faith and starve our fears. And when we do that, our fears will become smaller. Our God will become bigger. How do you feed your faith? Well, faith comes by hearing and by hearing by the word of God. So when you open the word, when you consume the word, your faith is growing. By the way, congratulations. All of you have been in a spiritual gym tonight. You can all go home and have an extra cookie because you've been working out in the gym of gymnasium of God's grace. By hearing the word, your faith is growing stronger, but you still got to go out and exercise it. But that's how you grow in even if faith. Now, as the story concludes, we have to, we have to finish this. And I just want to read through it in verses 19 through the end of the chapter. It says Nebuchadnezzar was furious and his attitude towards Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, this is so great, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. And because Nazareth then approached the opening of the blazing furnace, and this is classic, he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So now he's calling them out of the furnace. So they came out of the fire and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them and they saw that the fire had not, Harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, they didn't even smell like fire. Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. A couple of thoughts as we close this evening. First, I want to point out that even though Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did everything right, they honored God in all of their choices, they still had to pass through the fire. They got tossed into the fire. There's a part of all of us that thinks, that doesn't feel right, right? Sometimes don't we wrongly assume that if we do the right thing, if we raise our kids and the child in the way that they should go, and, and if we, we just kind of toe the line and we read our Bible every day, then we won't have to face fiery trials. But it doesn't work like that. Peter, in his epistle, wrote these words, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised. What is our initial response to every trial that we face? (gasps) Wow, I can't believe this is happening. It's right here in the Bible. Don't be surprised. I still am. I still get surprised. You do too. But we shouldn't be surprised. As a matter of fact, Jesus promised us that we would face hardships. But that's not all he promised us. Through the prophet Isaiah, the Lord said this, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they won't sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Notice how it doesn't say if you pass through these things. It says when you pass through these things. But that's not all it says. When you pass through them, I will be with you and the assurance of his presence gives us hope. Something else about this experience, when you pass through the fire of affliction, Jesus becomes more real to you. It talks about in our text how they saw the fourth and he looked like a son of the gods. All biblical scholars agree that this is a theophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. Jesus showed up, he's walking, in the fire, talking with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Praise the Lord. Do you want Jesus to become more real to you? That happens as you walk through hardship. It happens as you cultivate an even-if kind of faith. Notice something else that happened to them as they're in the fire their ropes burn, the things that were holding them back, that were tying them up, that were keeping them bound, those ropes were the only things that burned. You wanna get a promotion in your faith? Man, get ready for some trials. If you're in, if you're in a fire right now, Praise the Lord for that fire. Why? Because you're about to get promoted. Look at verse 30. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It is the path through the fire that leads to our promotion. And oh, by the way, you think, what about my attackers? Well, those guys got burned up in the very fire that was sent to scorch Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Last thought, and we're almost done. I love this part. In the midst of the fire, They became evangelists. And it was, it was their fiery trial that gave them a platform to preach their biggest, boldest message. And it led to the conversion of a pagan king named Nebuchadnezzar. Don't waste your fiery trial, God will use it if you'll let him, if you'll walk through it with an even if kind of faith, there is someone on the outside looking at you as you're in your fire and they're watching you. And it's the way that you respond to the trials of life that is going to lead them to faith. Praise the Lord. So as we close, here's a a few things for you to be thinking about tonight. Are there any areas in your life where you have been living with an as long as kind of faith? What are those places where God is drawing you into something deeper? What is that thing that's a non-negotiable? I'll follow you, but I gotta hold on to this. Number two, what fears have you been feeding that God is asking you to starve and he wants you to lay them down tonight? Number three, are you ready to move from what if fear-based living to even if faith-based triumphant living? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this word, time spent in your word. It's always rich. It's always beneficial. It never returns void. And God, you're here. You showed up as we were worshiping. You're here now. And you're going to meet us again as we continue in worship. And and, and we'll be, we have the elements of communion for you guys that are up here. And we'll have prayer partners that are available on the wings if you need prayer. And we're also just going to lean into the Lord. We're going we're to declare with our lips that our hearts and our lives belong to Jesus. God, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. And we can be saved from the fires of hell because you endured the fiery wrath and indignation of our heavenly father that was meant for us. But Jesus, you absorbed that. You took the fire of wrath, God's wrath, that was justified and right and godly towards sin. And you took on our sin that we might be robed in your righteousness. And so now this glorious exchange can occur where we can give you our sorrow and you'll give us your joy in return we can give you our mourning and you'll give us dancing we can give you our discouragement and you'll give us encouragement we can give you our anxiety and you'll give us your peace we can give you our hopelessness and you'll flood our hearts with hope jesus we need you tonight whatever trial you're facing i promise you your greatest need is more of jesus tonight you need to get your eyes off of your problem you need to get your eyes on the lord who is enthroned between the cherubim in heaven above and as you gaze on him as you feed your faith your fears will starve to death and you will be caught up into a place of his rapturous glory as you worship your king of kings and lord of thank you for listening to this podcast from maranatha chapel if you haven't already please subscribe for weekly messages feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held wednesday evenings visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information